What's up, Maverick Nation? Super excited today for our guest, Matthew Arnold. He is a top producing agent in the state of Maryland, and he's going to be sharing with us a lot about his mindset and how he got started in his business with tips and tricks and actionable items for you to take into your business right away. What's up, Maverick Nation? Welcome to our show. I'm super excited today. I've got my very good friend and colleague, Matthew Arnold of Keller Williams Select Realtors on with us. And uh, this is going to be a hell of a show. Matt, how are you, man? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm, I'm great, man. I'm really pumped that you uh, that you are uh, gracious enough to, to give us your presence today. Uh, super excited to dive in, let our audience learn about who you are, what it is that drives you, and what you do to create so much success. Um, just a little bit about Matt. Uh, Matt, I believe, has been in the business for under five years at this point, right? Yeah, and I think this will be my fifth full year, yep. Fifth full year, and, and he is a solo agent, mega agent, uh, doing great volume and really helping his clients, and, uh, and, I, and I can't wait to dive into his story. So, why don't we start there? Uh, talk to us about when you got into real estate and what brought you into this uh, crazy industry of ours. I got into real estate, let's see, yeah, um, twenty end of 2017. And um, I, I was, uh, you know, had just moved back to Maryland from Austin, Texas. I spent five years down there kind of hustling, doing doing a lot of different sales jobs. And when my wife and I decided to uh, get married, we ended up moving back to Maryland and purchased a house here. And I figured, you know, if I'm going to move back from Texas, it's a good time to, you know, change careers. And I was always interested in sales and wanted to sell something that could actually, you know, produce a large income. So I decided to jump into real estate. I think I kind of got lucky. um, And with the timing that I jumped into real estate because my sphere of influence was here in the Annapolis area. I was born and raised in Anne Arundel County. Yeah. And so I was in my early thirties and a lot of my friends from high school were getting married, having their first kids, just building enough wealth to be able to purchase their first homes. And so I got lucky enough to be able to ride that, you know, ride that wave of all my buddies kind of buying their first homes. Um, initially when I first got started, I really relied heavily on my sphere of influence, my family and my friends. Yeah. Um, and then I made a strong effort to snowball that business by door knocking and, and marketing those sales, whether it was a listing or a buyer and trying to pull one more piece of business out of every home sale I did. Yeah. Nice. I love it. Yeah. I got my start. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear, I hear luck, right. You're, you're throwing around the word luck, but let's be honest. Like, luck without effort is really not going to give you the same results that you've had. Right. So tell us a little bit about when you first got started, how did you feel about that? Cause I know a lot of agents out there, they're like so afraid to talk to their sphere, their friends, their family members. How are you able to get over that mental hurdle? Yeah. I just had a conversation with a new agent here in the office last week. She's this really great conversationalist. She just got in the business two months ago and she was having those same concerns. And we were just sitting next to each other in the productivity room. We were on the computers. And I'm like, look, Leslie, what did you do before this? Well, she was a registered nurse and she had been a nurse for years and years and years. I'm like, well, you 
that's a great sphere. I mean, mm-hmm. nurses make great money. You've, yeah. you've probably got relationships with doctors and, you know, a lot of other colleagues at the various hospitals that you've worked at. It is totally appropriate for you during a, during a change in your life for you to reach out to your sphere and ask them for the business. People expect that. They, you know, they're friends of yours. It's totally appropriate to once a month put out a message and say, hey, hi, how's everyone doing? Just to remind you, I've changed careers and um, I'm reaching out to let you know if I can be of help in any way. You don't have to beg. You don't have to pry. Just poke them, let them know. And then you do that enough times. And over the course of a year, eventually you will become top of mind for all of your sphere when the time does come. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a problem for people also is if they do start to do it, they do it once and then they don't get a result and they go, oh, well, you know, it doesn't work. Well, how many times did you do it? Did you give it enough time to figure out? I don't think people realize that, you know, in this uh, and, and for those that aren't watching the video, I'm holding up a phone that they're walking around with a pot of gold in their phone. Yeah. Right. If they're in sales, you just open it up, go to any contact. If they ended up in your phone, they ended up in there for some reason, right? And give them a call and check in on them and see how that goes. And then, yes, like you said, remind them that, hey, I'm, I'm. by the way, I'm in real estate and would love to be able to help you if you ever have a need in real estate or for anybody else that you know. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I got a lot of, I got a lot of business just from, I mean, everyone's got to say it. If you're in real estate and you don't have a social media account and you're not heavily in on social media, you're, you're probably not doing it right. I mean, you really need to get out there. You need to have a platform to be able to communicate with everyone at the same time. And it doesn't always have to be asking. It doesn't always have to be, Hey, you know, do you have any business for me? Do you know anyone to buy, sell or invest in real estate? I'm here to, it can be just a little poke like for years. And I, I, I was just about to, to do this today for years. I just, Every day I would go on the various real estate websites. National Association of Realtors has a good website. They put out daily articles every day. It's like the top three interesting things. And when an article catches my eye once or twice a week, I would just read it, understand it, come form an opinion on it, and then copy and paste it onto my onto my feed. And no one read it. I mean, some people, every once in a while, someone would throw a comment out there like, hey, that's a good point or whatever. But it once a week, my entire sphere, the hundreds of people I'm friends with on Facebook, which, oh, yeah, Matt's in real Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, and not to mention it builds a little credibility. You're forming opinions. It's good for you. You're understanding the market you know, further understand the market. And it's just little things like that. Or... You know, uh, one thing I've always done is any piece of business I have, whether it's a buyer or a listing, I throw three little pieces of marketing out. Um, Coming soon, picture, explanation, under contract, different picture, explanation, closed, picture, explanation. And people see that and it gains that credibility. Oh, Matt's actually doing business. He's doing it. He's selling houses. Oh, my gosh. Look, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I go to a party um, I, or or just talk to somebody. I was talking to somebody. Uh, I had wished them a happy Father's Day and then we connected on Monday. And as we're talking, he's like, hey, man, like, I'm so happy for you. It looks like you're killing it. I saw you won an award recently. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, an award? What the hell is he talking about? And I go, oh, my God. 
that home snap award that I got that I posted in January. It is now June and he's referencing that award post. So people are watching. I remember about this all the time. Yeah. And we talk about this all the time as well in our group, right? Like, you know, you, you can't overload them with real estate. It can't be real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate, real estate. Right. Like I see that you post about your kids and you post things that you're doing, you know, but, but you've got to throw that real estate in there. And, and my favorite thing, Bill Hennessy was actually uh, my best friend in, in middle school's um, dad, Dave Hennessy. And he was the office manager of the Long and Foster in Silver Spring, where I first got licensed. And the thing that he said that always stuck with me is Romeo, don't walk around being a secret agent. Mm. And I was like, God, how smart is that? Yeah. Remember, you would wear a, a name badge and just walk around and people go, oh, you're in real estate, right? Now we have a, all sorts of different platforms that we can advertise and market on. All right. So we talked a little bit. So you got in, you did the, the simple things of contacting your sphere. You do your social media. Last year, how much volume did you close, Matt? I just checked on my numbers this morning. Last year I did, I had kind of an off year. I got, had an illness towards the end of the year, but uh, I did five and a half last year, kind of okay. a good year for me. 2020, 2020, I had a mind blowing year, staggering. I mean, I really didn't ever thought that I, I really was really proud of myself. 2020, I did um, around eight. Okay. Awesome. And this year I've got a goal 10. Nice. But now, what are you doing differently, if anything, this year to make sure that you get to that? Um, man, this year I, I've I've hustled this year like I like I never have um, before, and I've got like a new level of confidence. I did some big, uh, some larger transactions, got really close to a million dollars a couple. I haven't I haven't surpassed a million dollar transaction nine fifty a couple times, um, and when you start getting kind of in the, in those figures, your level of confidence for me, at least went up a little bit. I felt more confident door knocking in, in downtown Eastport proper. I actually gained um, some clients uh, in like the Eastport peninsula that I'm still working with. Nice. Um, You'll have to let me know. Cause if Sarah hears this show, she's going to say, let Matt know when their house comes available. <laughs> yeah, you, you and about a dozen others, it's really difficult to get anywhere on the peninsula for less than a million bucks these days. Very hundred percent. Um, and I, I really just kept, just really kept on communicating with my, my sales funnel, even the really old, you know, the people who've been in the sales funnel for two years, I just kept them on, kept communicating with them, you know, two, three, four, five times a quarter, even if they really weren't active, I would still, you know, reach out and yeah. just never let a lead die. That's like one of my like hashtags, like just chase leads, just chase leads. You just never let a lead go ever, right. never, no matter how old it gets, it, they'll, they'll come around. It takes years sometimes, but eventually they will come around. And in the last three months, I've had uh, several of those real long-term leads just go pop, 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 pop. And I've got three. I, I, want, I want to pause here for a second. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I yeah. really need the audience to hear what you just said. The fortune is in the follow-up, ladies and gentlemen. Did you hear what he said? Never let a lead die. They are going to pop. And we say it around here with our team all the time. Every single person you meet is in the buying and selling cycle. They're just all in very different parts of that cycle. Exactly. 
Exactly. Every person, every person has the same dream. Everyone wants to be a homeowner and they're <clears throat> everyone you meet is a potential lead. The slightest bit of interest. Do they belong in your sales funnel just in a different, you know, Absolutely. So these three people that just popped, how much, how much volume is that between these three potentially? Um, I'm under contract right now at three point I have 3.9 under contract right now as we speak set to settle. It's going to be a great month. July is going to be great. Um, you know, I've got a couple new home constructions. Those leads take forever to, yeah. close. Uh, yeah. you know, a lot of communicating with the builder, a lot of meetings on site, you know, 10 months later, you've got, you know, 3% on eight, yeah. 872 is what that ended up being. DR Horton, great home builder. Great to work. Yeah, absolutely. So 3.89 under contract. Guys, those are from leads that he kept following up with. That's that's $100,000 basically. It's $100,000 in gross commission income Mm -hmm. for Matt. I mean, you know, I, I hear people all the time say, oh, leads are crap. You know, nobody picks up the phone, this and that. But then what I, when I dig deeper, I find out, well, you're not actually being the person you need to be to earn the money you say you want to earn because you're not willing to do the work of following up with them over and over and over again. And I tell people until somebody tells me to GFU, Mm. we'll keep a PG here and let people figure out what GFU is. Unless they do that or they die, I keep calling them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I keep calling them. And at some point they're going to either work with you or they're going to tell you, I don't want to hear from you ever again. And then at least I know. And if you don't call them, someone else is. 100%. Matt's going to call them. If you don't call them, Matt's going to call them. I will. Yeah. Another thing that, uh, that has been popping for me lately is the, uh, the online uh, lead generation. There's a couple of them that I've used. Opsity is one of them. Agent Pronto. Agent Pronto is another, I think I talked to you about recently. Um, and if you fill out those profiles, take your time, take an afternoon and really fill them out thoroughly, get a really good, high quality bio, some good quality photos on there. Um, you, you know, those leads come in and you sift through them, but I've closed two and I've, I've only been on it for three months. I've closed two so far and I've got several cash buyers. And I mean, the leads have been coming in really high. One of them, 1 million, another one's 1.5. Nice. Looking in the Annapolis area, cash buyers, they're going to be a while, probably going to be a year before they come. But um, th- those work, you know, those it, you, you got to be on your phone. You got to have it here in your hand, ready to accept the lead when it comes in. But there's definitely worth checking out. And I signed up for every zip code within an hour of here. I love that. So if you had advice on Internet leads and, and, and I love those types of services, can they be expensive? Yes. However, I love the fact that you're leading with revenue because you only pay when they actually help you produce a transaction. You're not paying monthly, right? Because I think that that's where people fall into trouble. They go on a Zillow um, and they start spending $1,000 a month on leads, but then they don't follow up. They get to the end of the year, they spent $12,000 and they didn't close any transactions. Yeah. And they're mad. Those leads. And they're they're mad because the the leads are crap, you know, and and basically it's like, look, you got to really chase every single one and juice it for all it's worth. Yeah. It's going to be a 10 to 15% closing rate, but if you chase them all that that's one a month or they, you know, that's your business right there. If you're paying for something like Zillow leads, I know people who spend thousands a month on them and, and, and build their business off of it. Yeah. Yeah. I would be frustrated too. If I, I mean, if I was paying for those leads and I wasn't closing them. Yeah. The beauty is, is that, yeah, these, these Opsity um, apps and the Agent Pronto. Agent Pronto has been really good. Um, 
you pay, yeah, you pay 30, 35% on settlement. But if you're capped, you know, especially towards the end of the year, if you're capped, it's just like a normal split with Kelly KW, you know, no big deal. That's right. And it's it's a transaction you wouldn't have had. Now, internet lead generation, is that a primary source for you or a supplement to what you do with your normal lead generation into your database and your sphere? My lead generation comes from, you mean the internet lead generation? When you say internet lead generation, do you, what, do you, what do you mean by that? So like these agent prontos or any other internet leads that you pay for, are, are, is that more of a supplement for you? Yep. or? Yep. That's just extra. That's yeah. just like, hey, you know, let me see if this is going to work. And yes, it in, indeed it is. It is working out okay. Um, but you know, I've heard you know I've heard theories like, look, you know, find your best lead generation technique and master it, and have that be your your source of leads. So that's certainly one way to go about it. Um, I, personally, I find that. You know, I, I don't put all my fish in one barrel. I, I I try lots of different things. One thing that's been really good for me uh, um, that I, when people are getting in the business and they ask you, you know, what's you know what's one thing that you did that was successful when you were first getting in, is I would pick um, I would I would pick like cherry pick one really interesting sale that happened in a, in a, in a neighborhood that you're familiar with. You farm Admiral Heights. I used to do this a lot with Admiral Heights. I would take a, a, an interesting sale, you know, yes, it looked like it was high, you know, priced a little bit over, you know, fair market value, watch it. Oh my God, it went under contract in three days. Oh, it ended up closing at 20,000 over ask. Wow. That neighborhood needs to hear about that. People are going to be interested in that specific home sale, regardless of whether you were involved in it or not. It doesn't matter. You write up a one page, bio on that what how you know what this means for your home print it out a hundred of them write a little signature on it throw some highlighter marks on it put it in an envelope go knock the doors in the neighborhood this is what this home sale means for your house your house just went up 10 percent in value are you thinking of selling the next year and if you do that a hundred times you're going to find one person you you're probably going to find one person who is thinking about selling the next year and does and appreciate, really appreciate like, wow, oh, I didn't know that house sold down the street there. Yeah, I saw the sign in the yard. Wow, that went at that month. Okay, great. Let's talk more about it. Matt, how long would that take you to do? Um, t- takes more time to stuff the envelopes and highlight and sign everything than it does to actually go knock the doors. Uh, a half a day in prep and then a day of door knocking, you know, okay. an eight hour day and a day and a half, two days. Two days so, so let's round up. Let's say 16 hours. Hmm. Yeah, about. What's your, what's, what's the average um, commission in that neighborhood, Admiral Heights? Mm, for 50, you know, 400 to $500,000 home sale. So, you know, 10 to 15,000 bucks. All right. So let, let's go in the middle. So 12,500 divided by 16 is $781 and 25 cents an hour. If someone was so inclined, they could build their entire business off just doing that. I did that a lot for three years. Um, and then I started just, I just cherry picked home sales. I mean, it's really easy to do. Well, I still see you do it on, on, uh, online, right? You'll, you'll take an awesome house and just say, Hey, who's interested in a waterfront house. And I remember the first time you did it, I was like, Oh, good for Matt. He's got this beautiful listing. And then I was like, Oh, it's not his listing. That's brilliant. What a people smart thing to do. Assume people assume I don't correct them. 
I don't correct them. It's it. Hey, there's a waterfront in Annapolis that just hit the market for nine fifty. I don't see that very often. Let's right. just. I'll just advertise it and say, if anyone wants to see it, let me know. And people yeah. just go, wow, Matt just got a great listing. You know, I don't mind. That's brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, we're getting gold here. I mean, these are all very simple things, right? I mean, these, these would you consider your business complicated? No, very simple. Look at the whiteboard behind me, Romeo. <laughs> you know, I still have the calendar. I don't need, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. He's a dinosaur and he's just doing the basics, right? I think so many times people do want to get caught up in a lot of the flash. And I agree with you, putting all your eggs in one basket. Let's say that you're an expired guy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what would that have done for you over the last two years? Your business would have been pretty short with zero expireds, right? Mm -hmm. If you didn't have your eggs in another basket as well. Yeah. Yeah. For sale by owners are kind of strong now. And you're seeing a lot of people go 100% of those. And I love for sale by owner. Yet, what happens when the market tightens up and people are like, you know what, I'm not going to try to do this alone. I need to, I need an agent. And then there's no for sale by owners for you to call. So I agree. Now, we believe at our team that over 90% of your business can come from your sphere of influence, from your database, your past clients, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm following there. And so what we always like to talk about is like, how can we continue to better the way that we communicate with our sphere and pull more out of our sphere and then do the things like you're talking about and supplement your business. So some of the things that we did this year is just doing the one page printout of the MLS when somebody purchased their house three or four years ago. And then at the bottom writing value now and highlighting what they bought it for and then putting the difference in price and just sending it and say, if you want to know more, if you're thinking about selling and you want to cash in on this equity, give us a call. Right. These are simple things that take no time at all, but people won't do those. And instead they get, I think oftentimes they get stuck in, well, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to plan to plan to plan to plan to plan to do this. And they never actually do anything. Mm -hmm. Right. There are a lot of really good planners in our business, but not a whole lot of really good executors, which is why it's not even 20% of, of the agents do all the business. It's probably like seven or 8%. I was thinking more like 10. I use the 90, 10. Yeah. And people always correct me though. It's 80, 20. I'm like, no, no, it's more like 90, 10. It, yeah. It's, it's definitely not right. It's definitely not. Well, I mean, even if you think about it, you know, in the Baltimore real estate market, which we're kind of in between Baltimore, Eastern shore, Washington, DC, there's about 6,500 agents in that Baltimore Metro real estate market. And what's the website, the, the Facebook page that they have? Top 500. I don't know about you, but that math doesn't work. 500, 20% of 6,500 is, is way more than 500, mm -hmm. right? So I agree. I think, I think that it's a lot less. And, and I think it's because there's a lot of agents that they, they're getting into this business thinking that it's going to be easy. And, and the way that you're talking to us almost sounds like it's easy, but there was stress there, right? Like, what did this do to you? And even due to you and your wife, like what were some of the struggles you went through when you were first getting in this business? Cause I know you didn't just come in and all of a sudden you just started doing, you know, $8 million in volume. Right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, one thing I think it's really important for people getting in also is to um, just this great conversation I had with Leslie, this, this um, girl who just got started here is to like make reasonable goals. You know, people get started in real estate and they, they look at the, you know, some of the people that have been in here for five to 10 years and they go, 
uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do $8 million this year, $10 million my first year in. And it's like, I hope you do. I really do. That would be amazing. That would be crazy. But don't set yourself up to be disappointed. Make a, make a, a realistic goal. My, my goal, my first year was to cap. That's it. Just cap. Um, you know, match the income that I made the previous year selling cell phones for Verizon. Um, and I did. I hit it like December 20th, you know, the very last week. I didn't take advantage of my cap at all. I didn't sell a single penny past my cap, but I hit my cap and I was very, very happy about that. And it gave me a great level of confidence and sense of pride. And I think another thing that like a lot of um, agents out there don't necessarily have a passion for the job. I love, you know, I really love, I really, really, really enjoy what I do. And that comes through in all the conversations that I have. And it comes through in the relationships that I build with my clients. They see how much I really, really enjoy what I do. And I bend over backwards for them. And if you're not passionate about it, if you don't love the job, you're just not in the right field. Yeah. You, know, you really got to enjoy this. Yeah, for sure. Cause it, I mean, it, the success in this business can be simple, but it's not easy. So I agree. Like if you don't love it, if you don't really enjoy what you're doing, it's going to be really hard for you to do those hard things when hard times arrive, right? Like picking up the phone and calling your sphere. Listen, it's simple guys. It's so simple to pick up the phone and call your sphere. And I'll acknowledge, and I'm sure Matt will too. It's not always easy. It's a little uncomfortable sometimes, right? You don't necessarily love doing it every single time. Sometimes you feel a little worried or, you you know, how are they going to think of me or, you know, or what, what's, what's going to happen? Am I going to sever a relationship? Those things happen, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah to, to answer your question, I got off track there. Like some of the harder things exactly that I faced when I was first getting into it was, yeah, trying to, trying to get comfortable with, with my new environment. Um, I, I didn't speak the lingo. I didn't, I was talking with guys like you, you know, who had been in the business for a long time and you were teaching, I was looking up to you and George McDowell and Kevin Riffle and all these other guys that were making, you know, been in the business for a while. And I'm like, man, I, I can't even speak. I can't even speak real estate. I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's very intimidating. Uh, it's easy to get, it's relatively easy to get your license. That's why there's so many people out there. But to actually be in the game and understand the market is very intimidating. So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time just studying, reading lots of articles, talking with lenders, taking the meetings, taking those, like letting the lenders come take me out for coffee. Went on so many lender appointments for coffee. And I, just at first, because I'd be like, I'd sit down and I'd say, hey, do explain to me the different mortgage programs, the jumbo and all this and, and the FHA and what are the differences so you can speak intelligently about those things when someone asks you, hey, what do I qualify for? Okay, well, tell me what your credit score is. You know, what's your debt to asset ratio and all this? And then you can say, well, you're probably going to qualify for a conventional. And this is so you, once you can start talking about it intelligently, then your sphere will start looking at you as a professional. Yeah. If you don't put, if you don't know the lingo and know how to talk about your career, people won't take you seriously. It, it, it sounds like you spent an equal, if not more amount of your time at the beginning, making sure that you are prepared. You are, you are a student of the game, not just a player, right? Mm -hmm. Go to the meetings, go to the trainings, all of them, even, you know, the contract training, I, you know, I, I struggled with ADD my whole life. It took me forever to learn the contracts and to be able to really actually understand them and interpret them. 
if you can't sit down with your buyer client and go through a residential contract of sale and explain that to them, why would they hire you? You know, and so you got to take those classes and, and that's intimidating. I mean, that was definitely something that was difficult to overcome at the beginning. Absolutely. We tell new agents um, part of our training when a new agent comes on is they go through a whole module for working with buyers, working with sellers, and we have all the contracts in there. And they actually almost like anybody that's out there that's worked in restaurants, which is probably more than half of the people that are going to be listening to the show. Um, they have to they have to do a mock contract on us. They have to write a contract. They have to go into dot loop. They have to put together the contract. They have to have all the right things. And listen, it, the, all the all the checklists and everything are in there. But that's very important. I agree with you. I, I got licensed in 2001. There were carbon copy contracts. You went to the shelf and you pulled out all the different papers. And you, had to, and you had to handwrite everything and you had to push hard because it was carbon. And then, Matt, I would have to sit across the table from you and I'd have to read the contract to you upside down. And explain it to you. Now, what do you do? You just go into dot loop and you send it away and you only explain it if somebody actually is like, can you explain it to me? Mm -hmm. Most people just sign contracts now. Right. It was so different then. So for me, it's really important. Like you said, like, yeah, you got to know the contract. I mean, even something as little as, and I, and I got hit with this because I'm licensed in multiple jurisdictions. And this was my fault. I think it was two or three years ago. Maryland, after you have the home inspection, there's five days back and forth on each party to make a response, right? So you get the report, you have five days to respond. And then once they respond, then they have five days. Well, in, 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 in DC, it's not the same. <laughs> it's three days in DC. And I sent a report to an agent on the fourth day. And they were like, hey, thanks very much, but I'm not really sure why you're sending this because you missed the deadline. And I was like, oh, man. And you know what I had to do? I had to give my client $3,000 because I totally screwed the pooch. And that's the right thing to do. Right. And every and once in a while, you have to do something like that. It was painful. I've, I've purchased washers and dryers before because guess what? They weren't actually in, in the inclusion exclusion. And I gave them away for, for the sellers or the seller was taking them. So I've had to buy washer and dryers. I mean, these things happen. So it's not like you're perfect, but you've got to have a system in place where you're working through these things and understanding the contracts. It's really, it's really important. How many times have you actually had somebody sneak in an additional inclusion, like a home warranty or something, because they wrote it on the line under the inclusion exclusions and you didn't notice until later when they asked you about it? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had some pretty, I've had some pretty interesting ones. Um, I had, uh, this was one of the first, I, mean, I had the craziest experience my first year in real estate. I mean, even, even Bill, our, our broker here at Keller Williams Select Realtors is like, <clears throat> he's like, how do you get involved in these <laughs> things, Matt? Like what? I swear if it can't happen, it happens to me. I, I, um, I, I, I I lost a client. I lost a client, uh, a seller client. Um, I performed beautifully. I, I uh, got him over ask within five days on the market. I got him 30, uh, like $15,000 over ask. I really did well. I went over, you know, got my contractors out there, got painting, got mulch done, got a listing photos done. I mean, the place looked amazing. It showed really well. I even helping like listing prep stage the house really went, went above and beyond and lost it over a washer and dryer that he, he had requested that, um, that I have it in the exclusions in the contract. And 
I wrote it in the exclusions on the MLS. I, I had notated in the agent remarks, hey, washer and dryer don't come with the house. Or in, in, the, in the listing, it was in the exclusions, but in the actual contract, I didn't put it in there. And, um, and I tried my very best to resolve it. I really did. I said, look, I'll buy you. I'll buy the washer and dryer. Don't worry about it. I, I, I got this. You know, don't worry about it. Totally cool. But because of that, I have because I had to put my foot in my mouth. I, I lost that client's trust, and I, I lost it, and I lost the sale. And then to make it even to take a step further to make it even more interesting, that client wanted to carry that contract to settlement because it was such a good contract that I procured, and he gave it to another agent. So I had procuring cause on like my third deal. I had procuring cause, and I ended up getting fifty percent of the commission out of it. Uh, it's a crazy story, but yeah, I mean, if you're not detail oriented. You, you really got to, I, I still, to this day, I, I, I sometimes terrify myself because I'm, you know, I really, I think a good TC is something really to, that everyone should have in their pocket when they're ready, when they can afford it, when they're prepared to have one. And that's something I'm currently working on in my business to, to hire a good admin, a good TC, someone I can really rely on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, I would recommend when you first get started, uh, try to find a virtual assistant. Uh, Judy, our virtual assistant, has been with us now for, I believe, four years. And um, she's she's been the most incredible hire. I mean, she's been instrumental in helping my business to grow because much like you, we're high D personality types. We're not always really good on the details, right? We're big picture. We move fast. We are aggressive and we can get things done. But to slow down and, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's is not always our strong suit, which is why I've also had some of those situations where I've had to buy things or spend things because because I'm, I'm not there. And, you know, that's a good example of how like you did everything great, but that one thing was enough for that client to lose trust in you. Mm-hmm. It's really easy for your clients to lose trust in you. I mean, this is a big deal that we're doing. And so I'm not saying this for people to say, Hey, it's no big deal. I'm saying it to say, if you know what your weaknesses are, definitely do what Matt's doing, what I did at a point in my career as well, and find that person that can help to keep you detail oriented for sure. Otherwise you may find yourself in those unfortunate situations, which is not good. It's not, it's not enjoyable at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also a lot of people in this particular instance, and I think this goes for a lot of people's assumption about real estate is they think that you that they can get in a, a large amount of trouble by doing things wrong, that, that, the, that the contracts, they could get sued really easily or uh, the language is the language and the contracts doesn't describe to an exact perfect detail of potential outcome of uh, one predicament or another. And don't understand that actually there are still some gray areas in real estate. You know, there's still, there's, um, there's still undefined things in these contracts that are kind of sort of gray areas, which was something I found really interesting when I got into real estate was how kind of wild west this still can be at times. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we won't even talk about commercial and how wild, wild west that is. I'd love to hear about it someday. (laughs) So Matt, all right. I I think, I think people are starting starting to get a really good idea of the fact that like you just put your head down and you work. Um, What is it that drives you to be successful? I mean, I know that the business can be hard at times. You said you had, you know, an illness that kind of set you back last year, but you're coming back this year with a, with a vengeance. What, what is it that's keeping your motor going? Uh, 
Well, I mean, I, I've got I've got big goals, just like any anyone else. Um, I just had a second daughter; she's six months. Congratulations! Uh, my my oldest is three months. We're in a very similar boat with the kids, similar ages, and we want great things for them. Right? We want to be able to provide a wonderful life for our kids and our wives. And so, you know, that's family. Of course, I think is you know my my main source of of um, passion, but. <sighs> I mean, honestly, what sets like a good agent apart from 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 just an average one is like your your drive for really providing a really good, high quality service. I really try really hard, and it it drives me nuts when I see like companies out there who who are successful and they suck at their jobs, mm-hmm. and I just don't get it. I do not understand how do you treat your customers that way. And still, perv- and still make a bunch of money. Some people are just in businesses where they just have so much demand that they don't have to be. They don't have to have good customer service. Um, or agents, you know, I, I was talking with you the other day. We were in the hallway. I was saying, I, the, one of the I'm speechless. One of the things that I find really interesting about this this industry is people will have an aunt or a friend, someone who's in real estate who really doesn't really know what they're, what they're doing and, and don't have the, they don't do it for a full-time job and they rely on these people for the biggest financial decisions in their lives. And they, and, 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 and then, and then an agent like me, I have to work with that person. They're on the other side of the transaction and they don't know what they're doing and they're screwing things up. And here I am working both sides of the transaction to try and save it. And that's the most frustrating part. It's not the clients, the client. I don't, I don't, you, I don't expect you to understand everything about the home sale process. You're not, you're not a real estate agent. It's right. my job to make sure you're comfortable with it. You know, it's the other agents on the other side of the transaction that are the most frustrating parts because they don't know what they're doing, but they're still getting hired and they're still earning a living. They're still clearing a hundred thousand dollars a year and, and they're not providing a good service to the clients. So that's, I don't know. I just went off on a tangent. There. Yeah, no, I mean, Sorry. I get it. I, I totally get it. So you but know, yeah, I, what, what drives me, my family, but more even like, or even more so I have a passion. I have a passion for, for customer service. I've been in hospitality for a long time before this career, food and beverage hospitality for a long, long time. And I really, I really enjoy providing a good experience and getting a good deal for my clients, whether it's a listing or a buyer, I really, really enjoy that. And I, I get a lot out of that, but so money, money aside, money aside. Yeah. I, you know, uh, I, I'm ex hospitality as well. And, and, and it rem- you bringing up hospitality reminds me of something I used to say to my, my servers and my bartenders when they would, of course, inevitably gripe about a tip, right? Oh, the tip, they, they stiffed me or they did this or 10% or blah, 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 blah. And I would just look at them and say, listen, just keep doing the right thing. And I promise you the money will show up. Just keep doing the right thing and the money will show up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's it, right? Like customer service, providing an exceptional experience, exceeding the expectations, I think is really huge. There's a lot of agents that are probably listening to this that are newer agents. So, and so we don't want them to think that like they should just get out of the way, but what, what would be some tips that you would give to a new agent to make sure that they're able to actually provide the level of service that we know we should be providing for our clients? I think a key tip in any in, in any sales industry is providing proper expectations right mm. from the bat. 
really make a, an, 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 an extraordinary effort to make sure that your clients un- understand what they're, what they're getting, what they're getting into, yeah. uh, you know, making sure that they're not looking at homes that they can't afford. You know, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Making sure they have an understanding of your predictions of what the market's going to do. I lost a lot of clients in the last year and a half because of because of, of rates. Um, they, I, I probably should have done a better job letting them know, like, hey, rates are at three and three and a half and four percent. They are going to go up drastically. Your buying power is going to, you know, if you were planning on buying in the next two years, we need to buy now because when we were looking at six and seven hundred thousand dollar homes, now we're looking at four and five hundred thousand dollar homes. Oh yeah, and they're never buying now. Their expectations are shot to hell, and I probably didn't do a good enough job urging them to buy, to pull the trigger sooner because rates are going up and they were going to lose their buying power. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, during, during the pandemic, when people were spending, you know, five to 10% over ask price, they were waiving inspections and waiving appraisals um, and paying cash over and above the appraised value. Something that, that, that we started doing because we were running into the, a lot of that as well is, is I would say, listen, the prices are not going down. I get it that right now you can't wrap your head around paying more than the appraised value. I totally understand it. I don't like that either. I hate to see that. And typically I would say no way you should never pay more than the appraised value, except in this situation, I don't believe that the appraised value that you're going to pay over today in two years is going to be an issue because it's going to keep appreciating. Like we're not seeing this end first until obviously we saw what happened with rates start to go. And, and, and really, I think COVID just ultimately like kind of extended or delayed the recession that we had coming anyways. I mean, this was going to happen and then COVID hit and they were worried about the economy. So they're pumping more money into the economy at almost 0% at 0%. And and the goal was to keep the economy pumped up. It had to go somewhere, right? It certainly had to go somewhere. And so I've had lots of clients that just couldn't wrap their head around it. And now like what you're explaining, they're like, Hey, I heard that you might be able to get into a house a lot easier now. And I'm like, yes, you can. And you're going to buy it. You're going to have to buy a house that costs a lot less. Yeah, but aren't prices coming down? No, they're not. Prices are not coming down. They're not. The next time, yeah, early prediction. The next time we're going to see prices come down are when baby boomers end up leaving their homes. Leaving their homes and moving on to whatever future living situation they're going to end up having. Yeah. They're aging well, in place. A lot of houses are just sitting there. Lots of houses. More and more people are aging in place because those retirement communities are getting so much more expensive. And then combine that with everyone who just refinanced at 3% who mm-hmm. are, why would they move? Why would they move? Right. They just refinanced at 3%. Yeah. doesn't matter. They're not going to move unless they have to. Unless they absolutely have to. Or, or it's like a dream perfect house for them, right? I mean, totally. Uh, my, my wife actually sent me a beautiful property today. And, and I was like, honey, that, that's going to like double our payment. And it's not exactly what I want. Is it exactly what you want? Like, why would we do that? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense why we would do that. You know, I mean, we, yeah, we'll, she goes, well, we'll take the equity and we can pay it down. And then I got, I, I just, I still don't see it. Right. I mean, it has to be the right house, you know, if we're going to do something that drastic. So, and I, I, I think you're right. Here's another issue though. We're already a million homes short of inventory that we need for the demand that we have. I read that. Yeah. Beyond that 
in the commercial space, which I also work in, developers are almost unilaterally putting new developments on, on hold. Rates have gone up. They're concerned. They don't, they're worried about the cost of labor and this and everything else and the materials. They're just putting them on pause. Well, commercial developments? Commercial developments, uh, new home developments, you name it. They're just putting them on pause. So, and, and if they're not, they're developing rentals. More and more rentals are being done. And then even, I'm sure people heard about, you know, Zillow lost all this money. But what they didn't hear about was that of all those iBuyers that Zillow purchased, 700 of them went to BlackRock Real Estate, a big investment firm. So they were buying them and selling them not to resellers, not to home buyers. They were selling them to institutional investors, which they've come in. So I think people need to see this whole picture that like prices are going to slow. I think they've already slowed. They're yeah. going to get back to normal, right? The analogy I like to lose, use is, listen, we've been driving 80 miles an hour on a highway that the speed limit is 50 and we just saw a cop and now we're slowing back down to 50 and it feels really slow, but it's actually just the speed limit. That's a really really good way to put it. That's a really good way to put it. I, and I, and I, I agree. And I've had this conversation with a lot of other real estate agents who are knowledgeable, more knowledgeable than I, and the same thing, right? We, I don't think we're going to see people paying 30, 40, $50,000 over ask, at no. least not as much anymore. Yeah. Um, but you'll still, you'll still fetch ask. You'll still yeah. get close. You might start seeing a little bit of a buyer, you know, a little bit of two, 3% towards closing costs here and there. Yeah. Um, but it's not like we're going to see, you know, it's not like we're going to see a 15% reduction in, in home sale. But actually, they this quarter I just read an article this morning this quarter uh, the median home price just broke a record high yeah. four hundred and twelve thousand dollars for median homes uh, home price across the US yeah. over four hundred thousand dollars the average price for home now. yeah and, and prices are going to keep going I up I, I do think you're going to see price reductions but this is where I think you'll see price reductions and, and tell me what you think on this we know that there's 1.5 million real estate agents. And we know that like back in 2007 or eight, there was like 1.2 million. And that was even crazier market than what we've seen. So we're way heavy on real estate agents. And we know that the barrier to entry is really low because we've just talked about the quality of a lot of agents that are out there that I, I think the lesson to take away from that, if you're a new agent listening is like, get a mentor, educate yourself, make sure you're with a brokers like Keller Williams or another one that has really good training that'll be able to put you into coaching and make sure that you're supported. But agents that don't really know, that aren't reading articles like you are every day, that aren't staying on top of what's happening in the market, they're still going in and saying, hey, Matt, listen, man, I'm really excited that you've decided to sell your home. Here's what you need to do. Take your wife and your kids, get a hotel room for the weekend. It's going to be bananas. We're going to have gangbusters through the house and we're going to be reviewing multiple offers on Monday. And we're going to have it sold for $50,000 over ask. And then the weekend comes and it's crickets. And they future priced it and they tried to sell it for $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 more than the last house it sold. And they let their sellers dictate price instead of them informing them on where price really should be. And then you're seeing people panic and request price reductions. And then you get over 30 days and people are really panicking. So then they reduce it below what the market really even should be. And that's where you're going to see what I consider an artificial reduction in prices based on user error, not based on the fact that the market is really commanding less. And what's that all come back down to? Setting your client's expectations from the beginning the proper way. 100%. 
You give them the right expectations. Don't overpromise. Overdeliver. Yes. Don't underpromise. Shock yeah. them. Shock yeah. them. Tell them what they don't want to hear off the beginning. You know, yeah. sorry, guys. Look, it's not the diamond in the rough you think it is. I understand. I see this a lot. It's a beautiful house. It's got a lot to offer. But let's be realistic here. Let me try and bring you multiple offers. Let's yeah. not reach for the stars. You're going to end up with a headache. It's going to sell for the same price at the end of the day. How much of a headache do you want? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, the historical national average days on market for a property is like 62. I mean, we've been seeing five, five days on market. So I think, and we've been having this conversation a lot in our team as well. It's like people are like, oh my God, hey, it hasn't gone under contract. I'm going to ask for a price reduction. And I sit down with them and we review comps and I go, no, 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 pump the brakes. Go back and have that conversation with your seller. Show them the data. Show them the fact that 40% of mortgage applications have dropped off. Show them the fact that there's more inventory. Show them the fact that people are reducing prices a little prematurely. Let them know that they just have to hold. It's going to sell. It's just going to take a little bit longer. And so be it within about 21 to 40 days, we're seeing it's taking longer, but houses are going under contract. They are selling for at or near ask. They are actually having home inspections, which then do create some concessions or some repairs. So it's just normalizing, right? It's normalizing. And at the same time, like, Showing people what the difference is at $450,000, which is Anne Arundel County's median sales price, 3.25% versus 6.25%, which is what it went up to last week. It's come down since then, thankfully. Um, the difference in payment monthly for just principal and interest at $450,000, three points is a little over $700 a month. Wow. Wow is right. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, that's why that's why I've lost a lot of buyers, man. They're just seven hundred dollars a month is a lot, mm -hmm. right? I mean that that's a lot. Then you couple that with five dollar a gallon gas prices, right? I mean, I have a Ford F one fifty, and I never loved gas prices, but that truck gets pretty good gas mileage for a truck. It's a thirty gallon tank. Well, you do the math at $5 a gallon. Yeah. I mean, if I do that three or four times a month, I've just doubled my car payment. Mm -hmm. How crazy is that? And yep. people are experiencing that, right? And groceries are more expensive. I mean, all these things are more expensive. So Everything. Services. I think more and more, we need to start becoming almost economists for our clients, right? And understanding their plight and what they're going through and helping to talk them through it. And I stole a really good post from somebody the other day, uh, yesterday, I think actually, and, and it was great and it showed historical interest rates, but it stated it in a really great way. It didn't say like, oh, don't worry, like 6% is still low. Yeah, but you're being insensitive. There's all these other things going on and prices are higher than they've ever been. So 6% is a big deal, right? I mean, it really is a big deal. You can't minimize that. But what this post said is like, don't marry the rate, marry the house and let rates come back down at some point and refinance. Or if they get worse and they go up, be happy you married the rate when you did. Yeah. And, and buy what you can afford. Yeah. Are, are you seeing that people are starting to kind of come around to that? theory well, i actually saw that same post and i and it, it it made a lot of sense and that is an objection handler and a half uh it's a really really good way to put it i understand six percent is 
double what we were looking at last year. I get it. I understand. It's not going to stay that way forever. You know, do you love this house? Let's get you in this house and we can refinance when it's appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Or even, you know, I I like having the conversation with people about, um, you know, do you know what happens to your mortgage if you actually made one extra, just basic one extra principal and interest um, tax and insurance payment a year? And they go, no, I, I, what would happen? I said, well, between, between um, nine and 12 years, you'll reduce the amount of time that it takes to pay off a mortgage. Okay. We had Gary Keller on our, on our leadership call the other day. And he told us a story that him and his wife, they made two extra payments a year and they were able to pay their house off in eight years, 30 year mortgage, eight years, they paid it off. Ah, I did not realize that it would make that much of drastic, that much of a difference. Is it because you're paying off the interest that much faster? Because the interest is compounding based on the amortization schedule is based on when you're paying it. And so every time you do that, it recalculates and it recalculates and it recalculates and the interest continues to knock down because you and I both know if you, if you finance a house and it's amortized over 30 years, you're, you're paying like three, three and a half times what you actually bought the house for. It's crazy. So the more that you're able to pay that principal balance down, then the more you're able to knock down the amount of interest that you pay, which is why you're able to pay it off so much quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty crazy, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, I think there's a lot of strategies out there that we can help our clients to employ. Um, but let me ask you a question that, that's a little bit more personal. Um, how in the heck is it that you are able to Make yourself do things that are hard when you really don't feel like doing them. Um, I guess that's a good question. Um, I, I think I think I think a lot of people like I think a lot of people like us and people that are in sales in general like a good challenge. Um, and. Uh, and I, and I try and think of, of what the outcome is, is going to be, what the end game is going to be. I don't like door knocking. I don't enjoy it. Um, but when I, when I think about what, what, the, what the result is going to be, at the end of the day, the check in my hand for me going and knocking these doors and understanding that this isn't part of the job. It's a part of not every job, not every part of my job. I love all of my job. I don't love every part about it. I don't like writing the contracts. It takes me three hours to put a good quality contract together, it, the, the paperwork. Um, but, I, but I force myself to do it because I know at the end of the day, the end result is going to be able to Put, put paychecks in the bank and and see my name on the wall up there with you know up there with with you and, and the other big guys up you know but throwing up big numbers and I think the competition really drives me they're kind of I love that mm-hmm. I love that so just being motivated and, and just deciding to do it you know it's it's interesting to me we've been having this conversation a lot on our team and it's like nobody's coming to save you so just go and do the work right And I think more importantly, what people get stuck in is they know that they want something, but they're not aware of who they need to become to attain that something. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing that I think I love about our our industry or just, just development or drive in general is that 
it's not the destination. The destination's great, right? Yeah, like you said, see your name on the wall, or you got you know a great year of income that you made, you got money that's coming in the bank, or you're able to buy assets, whatever it might be. Those things are great. But what's more important is who you're becoming in the process of doing those things, mm-hmm. right? Because it's 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 the hard thing about hard things, right? Not everybody's willing to do them. And so one of my favorite quotes is, um, today I'm willing to do the things that others won't so that tomorrow I can have the things that others don't. Right. And when I feel like, oh, I don't really feel like doing this, I just go, okay, is it you that doesn't feel like doing it? Or is it the voice in your head saying that you don't feel like doing this? And then being able to have that internal dialogue and come around. Listen, we're growing our team. So I make a lot of phone calls to agents asking them if they'd like to join our team. That's unnatural for me because I'm used to selling houses. I have to get around that though. Because if I don't make these conversations happen with other agents, then we'll never grow. Yeah. We, yeah. We one can- thing I tell myself frequently, I don't bi-weekly basis uh, when I'm trying to get something done that I don't necessarily want to, you know, part of the aspect of the job. I don't necessarily, as I tell myself, like, grow up, this is just part of your career. This is part of the job. This is just part of it. You know, sometimes you don't always get to work with great agents on the other side of the transaction. It happens all the time. You're not satisfied with the amount of work the other person has put in or the way they delivered the contract. It's just part of the job. And, you know, take it with a grain of salt and keep going because other parts of the job I really, really enjoy. And that's, you know, and, and getting to that side of the, the transaction is, is, is a wonderful place to be. I love it. I, I think that's probably a perfect place to stop because you, you summed it up, right? You don't always love every part of your job, but you acknowledge that those things that you don't love are just part of the job. And you just have to do it so that you can have the result that you want at the end. That's perfect. I think if everybody could figure that out and they could just get out of their own ways, we'd have a much better, stronger sales force of agents that are more educated, that know what the heck they're doing. And everybody would be a lot more fulfilled in their job. Listen, we sold 6.4 million homes in 2021, and we're probably going to sell, they're predicting between 5.2 and 5.4 million homes. Anything over 5 million is still a lot of houses. So there's plenty out there. The world is abundant. We just have to get out of our own way and our own minds and go out there and do it. And I think you're a shining example of that. And I'm really grateful to be a friend of yours and to have you in our office. You bring a ton of energy and, and, and you're just a great guy. And, and we really appreciate having you around. And thank you so much for being on our show today, man. Thank you for the opportunity, Romeo. Absolutely, Matt. All right. We'll talk soon. So until next time. Thank you. Bye. See you, man.